Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. My sincere thanks to the listeners and those who have liked, subscribed, and commented. Your interest is noticed and deeply appreciated. Almost everyone who practices martial arts does so at least partially because they believe it might help them in a self-defense situation. Most Aikido practitioners are not interested in competing in martial sports and admit that while some Aikido concepts can help in competition matches, Aikido is not a good fit for competition fighting. That's another subject. Today's podcast is about real-world violence. If you're going to learn to protect yourself from something, you must understand it first. Remember Sun Tzu's wisdom. Know yourself and know your enemy, and in a hundred battles you will not be in peril. Let's get into some detail about the nature of real violence so we can understand it. Before we start, let me say that what I share here is a culmination of what I've experienced myself and what I've learned from those with far greater experience than my own. A wise man does not limit his learning to merely his own experience. There is great value in what you can learn from those with first-hand experience. I'll share references to some sources you can find via books and online materials so you can research it further if you're interested in finding out more. Some of my mentors I've learned from in person, and I encourage you to seek out people who can help you build your understanding. This podcast is in no way complete or a substitute for in-depth research and learning. The subject of violence could fill an entire library. This podcast is only meant as a beginning and provide you with some food for thought. Perhaps it gets you curious enough to investigate and learn more. The better your understanding of violence, the easier it is to deal with effectively. Where do we start in on this topic? A good place might be to state that violence happens for a reason. Often people who are victims of violence will say, it happened out of nowhere, or I had no idea what was coming. Typically they are the victims of some kind of ambush, like a mugging, a kidnapping, or just a street attack. Maybe in their world they didn't see the warning signs, but their attacker made a conscious choice to use violence, and that choice was based on some kind of motivation. It may not have been clear to the victim, or the reason made no sense, but it doesn't have to make sense to you. It made sense to the attacker, and that's what made them choose to do it. Probably the most common idea people have of a street attack is a mugging, where someone wants your money or valuables and threatens to hurt you if you don't give it to them. The motive here is getting the money. It might be a drug addict who is looking for their next high. You're not dealing with a genius here. They are simple and see the most direct path to getting what they want is to take what you have. Remember this fact because it is consistent with bad people who use violence, and it directly affects your ability to reason with them. The less intelligent someone is, the less likely that making them see the error of their ways through negotiation is going to be effective. They want what they want, and they want it now, and they don't want to talk about it. They just want it over. A mugging is violence over property. You have that property, and the mugger wants it. Other property violence is when someone perceives a threat to their property. Many a fight has started over jealousy, such as a man thinking another man is making eyes at his girlfriend or his wife. Of course, a person is not property, but people respond poorly when their relationship is threatened. It might seem this type of violence is easily avoided merely by maintaining good manners, but that's not always the case. Years ago, I was working a club event and was on the door. The night was wrapping up and people were leaving the bar and there was a large crowd out on the street. Not far from the door was a circle of people turned inwards and talking. A man and his friend walked by the circle, and just as the man passed, a woman in the circle spun her head and said, That guy grabbed my ass. In an instant, the man standing next to her spun around and launched himself at the passing man. By this time, he was a couple of steps away. 
The attacker shouted an expletive that I won't repeat here as he closed the distance, and he was in a hurry. The victim only had time to turn his head at the shout before the attacker was on him. The two collided, and the victim was driven to the ground up against a fence, and the attacker was pounding on him, all in a matter of seconds. Here's the thing. Did the passerby grab the woman? The crowd was so thick that it couldn't be seen. It could easily have been a case of mistaken identity, and she was actually grabbed by somebody else. Minding your own business isn't a guarantee. In the blink of an eye, rage overwhelmed the woman's companion, and an attack was on. There was no time or opportunity to negotiate. It's amazing how fast the whole thing went down. This kind of thing happens all the time where people drink. An unpleasant truth is that women take part in instigating violence as well, and not just against other women. Any experienced bouncer knows that women are every bit as capable of starting up trouble as men are. They just tend to use different approaches in doing it. A life lesson. Violence is most likely in places where people, especially young men, are drinking alcohol. Failing to understand this is a recipe for disaster. A question to consider. If you have to deal with violence, would you prefer to do it sober and with a clear head or with a mental and physical impairment of having drunk alcohol? This is a profound question. Having hosted many parties, some of which ran over 100 guests and even over 1,000, I always avoided drinking because having a clear head was necessary to make sure I was prepared to deal with what might happen when others are drinking. I found that I would only drink when I was in the company of people that I trusted completely. If there was any doubt about how people would behave while drinking, I wouldn't touch a drop. There are some people who turn into different people when they drink. There's the happy drunk, the sad drunk, the morose drunk, the clumsy drunk, and these are not really worth worrying about. It's the belligerent drunk and the angry drunk which pose problems. Whiskey and tequila are notorious for making some people angry and violent, although some people get angry when they drink a significant amount of any type of alcohol. When people start drinking, stay observant. It's always best to spot a problem before it flares up. Fights start over protecting possessions or property, but a great deal of them start over pride and ego. Make someone a butt of a joke or have them take a joke the wrong way is a common way for this to start. Imagine telling a Polish joke and somebody with Polish heritage hears it and takes offense. He doesn't know you and is not willing to overlook the perceived insult. It won't help if he's been drinking. These types of violence are often referred to as social violence. There's no property or gain to protect, but the threat or anger is based on social interaction. Another type of social violence is referred to as the educational beatdown. This is when there is a social etiquette which has been violated by someone not understanding it. An example might be when you go to sit on that nice-looking motorcycle without the owner's permission and he hits you. Educational beatdowns are avoidable if you are respectful and pay attention to where you are and what company you are in. One of the types of violence that makes the least sense to the victim, even long after the incident, is the status-seeking display. If someone is trying to prove their toughness and increase their status within, say, a gang, they will choose a random victim and move in to attack them. It's to show the gang they are tough and not afraid. You should avoid this by spotting and avoiding groups of young men who look like trouble. Rory Miller has some great material on types of violence, and I would definitely encourage you to seek out his work. He has some online material as well as a number of books which are excellent. For a martial artist, his book Meditations on Violence is a must-read. His real-world experience is something you do not get in a dojo. He also has a formal martial arts background and does a great job of helping bridge the understanding towards the difference of dojo arts and real violence. I just can't recommend that book strongly enough. Really, go read that book. 
It's called Meditations on Violence by Rory Miller. I'll leave a reference in the description. One aspect about violence with true intent to harm is that merely controlling somebody's body may not be enough to deal with the threat. Controlling an angry and violent person without harming them or causing them pain is extremely difficult. This isn't to say that you should abandon the idea of their safety and hurt them. However, realize that an angry and aggressive mindset is sometimes not shifted by subtlety. I'm not completely certain it was Rory's book that I read this account, but it was from one of the many I read by authors with real-life experience. The author came from a Japanese jiu-jitsu background and was on the job as a bouncer. A drunk guy in his bar was getting unruly and had to be dealt with. The author went over to him and tried to calm him down with verbal guidance. The drunk was having none of it and only getting more confrontational. When the bouncer realized verbal persuasion was not working and that physical exchange was imminent, he used a subtle but effective throw to crumple the drunk to the ground. The drunk was still angry and aggressive, but the throw was so soft and subtle that he thought he merely fell over. He got back up and kept his aggressive ways. He simply wouldn't be taken out of his aggressive mindset. The author learned the lesson there that in order to divert the aggressive mind, something else was necessary. He called it the AI or attitude interrupter. This can be a combination of body control such as a pin and a short pulse of pain to convey that if he keeps it up, there's pain in his future. Pain is merely a tool. It can be used to penetrate the anger or fog brought on by alcohol or other substances. If you use pain, it must be done surgically. If you cause steady pain, then the person is highly motivated to fight you and put a stop to it. The goal is control and to get the message across that you can cause pain but don't want to. In this circumstance, control was absolutely necessary, and with as easy as it was to get the drunk on the ground, getting into a strong control position was likely quite easy. Another type of violence most people have encountered is bullying. Physical bullying is most common among children and teens. Usually, bullying is verbal violence consisting primarily of intimidation and mild threats, which tend to escalate into shoving, slapping, and other low-level physical attacks. Over the years, I interviewed many bully victims in researching a book I wrote on the subject. Some bullying targets found clever and cunning ways to either avoid or outsmart their bully. The one tactic which was the most common by far was to cause the bully a momentary pain. Oftentimes, this was a single punch or slap or push to let the bully know that they are not going to put up with his intimidation or threats. If you show that you are willing to go past the verbal and initiate the physical, most bullies will back off. For the most part, they don't want to deal with fighting or pain. They only want to control you. If you show you are unafraid of them and are willing to step it up, they often abandon you and go find weaker targets. Sometimes bullying situations can be complex, but the more often than not, they are pretty straightforward. Bullying is a low-level predatory behavior. When a bully grows up, they tend to become more serious predators. A few give up on it because they learn that the behavior is bad and they turn their ways around. However, many don't learn that lesson and instead learn that being a predator can get them prestige, notoriety, and even property. They truly grow into becoming a bad guy. The best way to avoid predators is to not look like prey or exhibit prey behavior. Predators are always watchful and observing what is going on in the environment around them. They do so confidently, and that is important. If you imagine a deer in a forest, they are also looking around, but they are skittish and do so nervously. A deer is a prey animal, not a predator. Human prey are a little different in that they don't even have the deer's instincts to be careful. Human prey are usually oblivious to their environment and don't see potential threats until it's too late. 
Cell phones have been God's gift to human predators because people are so engrossed in looking at their phones that a predator can easily approach completely unseen. What you wear and what you show could attract a predator. Lavish jewelry, fancy clothes, and expensive electronics are bait to a mugger or a thief. A friend from Costa Rica told me that they have a phrase for this there, don't give away the papaya. This means if you go somewhere where there are predators, don't give them a good reason to take what you have. Probably the best single thing that you can do is practice using your eyes. Keep them calmly looking around at what's going on around you. Think looking around more like a wolf than a deer. Don't be afraid to meet someone's gaze for a few seconds, but don't let it linger. A lingering gaze is perceived as a challenge. Instead, meet the gaze and hold it long enough to show you're not afraid to look at them, then move your gaze away in a horizontal direction and keep scanning. If you look down, that's a sign of submission. If you look away instantly, this indicates fear. Just doing this one simple thing will make a huge difference in how you are perceived. It will take some practice, but you can do it every day. It doesn't take long to get it down. Remember, predators of all kinds want easy prey, targets which will not notice them approach. Don't make it easy for them, and you will likely never be approached. It's always best to avoid problems early when they are small before they become big problems which are hard to deal with. The physical techniques of martial arts are self-defense skills. Observation, awareness, and good judgment are all self-protection skills. You should only need your self-defense skills when your self-protection skills fail you. We all have our own reasons for training martial arts. Mine is that I want to make sure my confidence is not a bluff. If my powers of observation, avoidance, and negotiation fail, then I am well prepared for a physical exchange. It just so happens that dojo training doesn't really teach much of the non-physical skills. It pays to learn about them and practice them as much as you can. If you find this subject interesting, I highly recommend the works of Rory Miller, Mark McYoung, Jeff Thompson, Lawrence Kane, and Peyton Quinn, and there are some others too. These are the top writers in the field of real-world violence and how it works. They have direct experience and excellent insights. I also recommend finding people with this kind of experience and talking with them directly. You'll learn a great deal. It's not practical to go get a job as a bouncer or a cop to learn these lessons. Definitely listen to the insights that they have to share. It's a world most peaceful people have little knowledge or awareness of. I'll end this podcast with saying that it might seem that you need to become violent in order to learn to deal with violence, and that's not true. You always want to be peaceful and avoid violence. A good martial artist should have the skills to end violence quickly without causing unnecessary harm or injury if possible. The more you know and understand about violence, the better chance you have of avoiding it by using good judgment. The closer your training gets to the realities of violence, the better you will perform when you have to deal with it. There are good resources out there, and I'll leave a list of the authors in the description. What are other topics you're interested in hearing covered in this podcast? Please share your ideas in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube. You can also go to the Facebook group Aikido the Marshall side and post a comment there. Your input and engagement really helps podcasts like these stay around. Please support it by liking, subscribing, and sharing. Enjoy your training.